Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Hardwood Knox. This is Adam Frommel here with my fantastic co-host, Dan Favalli. I feel like this episode kind of marks our wholehearted shift into the next season mode. Um, you know, we've we've dabbled in that a little bit, but this, where we're, we're looking at a breakout candidate for each team in the Eastern Conference, really feels like we're not just dipping the toe in the waters of next season anymore, so much as just diving into the pool. And I personal and I personally am very excited for it, which I assume you are as well, Dan. Yeah, we're done with the retrospective stuff, aside from report cards, which we've been pulling off on in part because it just feels like this offseason has one more fairly large Australian domino to fall before everything is is into place. I don't know about you. I think that's called a teaser, but I agree. We will do report cards at some point um, very soon, but we're done with, we're going to be getting into team previews. Like training camps are opening in this month and it's just, it's wild because the off season was longer than last off season, but it was still fairly short relative to the typical calendar. So yeah, we're, we're, we're diving in and going through this exercise. It definitely felt like, you know, we've been relying a lot on mailbags, looking at a lot of like reacting to news, which we will do in a second because there is some news, but this just feels like we finally shifted our focus all the way to 21, 22. For sure. Before we do that, uh, one PSA, uh, we are no longer going to be hosting episodes on Spotify green room. We've been doing that on Sunday afternoons. Instead, we're planning to record more episodes just like this, where we'll bring them to you after we record them instead of doing those live editions. But you can still find plenty of content basically everywhere you look at this point. There's a TikTok account. There's an Instagram account. Please make sure that you go uh, subscribe to the YouTube account. We're trying to build up the followership there. And Dan in particular is putting a lot of effort into doing so. And then of course, on Twitter, you can find us at Hardwood Knox. Uh, moving out of the PSA, though, before we do get to those breakout players, we have to discuss, as, as you mentioned, the Australian elephant in the room, and that is Ben Simmons. The reports are flying in furiously at this point. It, it feels like a week ago at this point, even though it was like hours, I guess, that we learned he was not planning on reporting to the Philadelphia 76ers until they traded him, that he was prepared to sit out the season. And it seems like since then he's been connected with at least a dozen teams to the point that we've now already reached a point in the same day news cycle that those teams are now denying those reports. So it's moved at a hectic frenetic pace. Yeah. It's, it's clearly because Ben Simmons and his camp have decided to take the offensive now where the report first coming from Keith Pompey that he, as you mentioned, wants a trade and doesn't plan to report to training camp. Um, we hear from Sam Amick about the various teams that are involved. Did um, even John Krasinski of the Athletic also writing about the Timberwolves' element of it. Uh, Amick reported that the Kings aren't willing to include Tyrese Halliburton or De'Aaron Fox, and that Buddy Heald and Marvin Bagley would likely be moved in such a deal. That kind of oozes Kings side. Good luck with that. Uh, yeah, there's. I wouldn't trade De'Aaron Fox for Ben Simmons after the season or playoffs that Ben Simmons just had. I think overall, had you asked me before last season if Ben Simmons was better than De'Aaron Fox, I would have said yes. As of right now, I don't think you can be sure, especially if the season De'Aaron Fox had. So if the Kings want to go all in on this and include Halliburton, I think they can justify it. But I think you lose a lot of luster if you end up trading De'Aaron Fox or Ben Simmons. Like, I don't know that that nudges you forward in any one way. I think I would still have Simmons above Fox, but that doesn't necessarily mean I would trade Fox for Simmons. Just because I think like the Simmons conversation 
is a fascinating and equally frustrating one. Because on one hand, it feels like we have a terribly tough time evaluating his worth, even though that worth should be pretty obvious. Like, yeah, there are flaws, but he's also an all-defensive player who's arguably the most versatile defender in the NBA today. He's a brilliant passer. He can finish plays around the basket when he chooses to do so. If he were a free agent right now, he's going to get a max contract from someone. He is a very good player despite the playoff warts, despite the narrative that those significant playoff shortcomings created. So the way that people are valuing him and talking about like, oh, I don't really want my team to acquire him or, you know, the, the Sixers are asking for way too much. It's really weird. But then on the flip side, it also feels like because he was a number one overall pick that he's still supposed to have so much potential. And I, I just don't know how much more growth we can expect to see because we haven't seen that development. In some areas, we've seen regression. And then you come to a guy like Fox, who was not a number one pick, but I, I can expect him to develop into so much more reasonably, I think. So Simmons is, is so weird to me because there are totally disparate ways of looking at his value that are happening simultaneously. And he's also a player who somehow is then ascribed so much upside that he hasn't yet reached because of his draft status even if that shouldn't be happening at this stage of his career. It's just it's just like a walking conundrum at this point. I totally agree. And what you really run into issues, and I think what hurts with Ben Simmons, is that you need to have at this point, because I do think, yeah, you can try and project and extrapolate what you hope he'll become, but you also have to deal with the, out, the reality of what he is right now. And right now, peak Ben Simmons is more concept than actual player. You have to deal with the Ben Simmons of today, and that takes a very specific set of personnel around him for the fit to be unequivocally good. You could put him in Golden State with Draymond Green, and maybe it does work out, but you do have to think about the possibility that it won't. And so I think when you look at some of the teams that are interested, Toronto, Golden State, he, he wants to go to one of the LA teams. That's just not happening. Good luck. Um, but Golden State and Toronto specifically, like those aren't great fits where I think Sacramento and Minnesota, depending on what they have to give up, I think those are two teams that can fairly easily fit him in minnesota seems like minnesota is the perfect fit right like if I you're just, constructing a team around him you want someone like carl anthony towns you want someone like anthony edwards I, I guess the idea of what anthony edwards is going to develop into you want someone like malik beasley spacing the court it well, malik makes beasley a ton of sense. that trade probably not and i see there was a report that minnesota is talking about a core of carl anthony towns delo ben simmons and anthony edwards definitely tantalizing I don't know how you have the assets to pull this off without including Russell. You can still get to the salary matching aspect of it, but you need to include enough picks to where then you're recruiting a third team that is sending Philly something they want if you're going to keep D'Lo. And I'm not even sure that Philly would want D'Lo. So if, even if you're willing should. to move him, but they should, but D'Lo is also Cat's best friend. It would be fun to see Ben Simmons, I think, in Minnesota more than any other place. Sacramento's number two. Um, I don't love the idea of him in Golden State. I don't know how you feel about that. And I'm not crazy about the idea of him in Toronto, especially you would have to tell me that Fred Van Fleet survives that trade for Toronto. He would have to, for me to like it. Yeah. No, I, for me, it's really Minnesota or bust at this point. Um, especially now that we have these reports that Anthony Edwards has grown another two inches. Can you imagine the size of that team too? 
Yeah, wow. Didn't even think about that. And look, that defense instantly gets so much better with Ben Simmons. And even Anthony Edwards kind of showed more improvement away from the ball last year. And Carl Anthony Towns isn't just a defensive sieve at this point. No, and I mean, look, if you have Jaden McDaniels on the court with those guys, like there's a lot of stuff that he can do. That that would be a I would assume, actually Jaden McDaniels doesn't survive that trade either. Now that I'm thinking about definitely it, not. There's no way he's too definitely good. not. Uh, him and Malik Beasley, I think, are the guys that are gone. And then I would assume if you're not trading D'Lo, Patrick Beverly is then gone. And then <laughs> all the guy. players. What? He's good. Patrick Beverly has gotten so excited about playing for so many different teams this offseason. He's getting the Luke Rittenhauer treatment <laughs> right now. Um, is there any other team that hasn't been met? And look, he can't, he physically can't get to the Lakers right now because the way that they're not trading LeBron or AD. They're not trading Russell Westbrook. They just don't have money to move. He's, yeah. he's not going to. It can't happen. Yeah. The Clippers, I don't can't know. Can't happen. It can't, no way. It, it technically could, but they don't have anything to offer Philly. Right. Unless you're they trading. They have nothing to give up. Which you shouldn't. Uh, yeah, they definitely should not do that. Is there a team that's like just not been mentioned or not being mentioned right now? Maybe it's mentioned in the past that you would actually like to see maybe get involved in this? Because I do know. And look. And that's t- the way to wrap this up is that question. But also, what do you ultimately think happens here? Is he moved before the start of the season? Because the I think threat, he has to be now. The threat of him not t- reporting to training camp matters, but he really hurts himself by not doing that either. And if I'm the Sixers, I don't know that I want to move him now. He has four years left on his deal. I don't think that he actually has that much leverage. They can risk and say, okay, if he's not going to play, and even if he's not getting paid during that point, like we're not going to be good because the solo Joel Embiid minutes are not necessarily spectacular. They might be fine next season, but you're not going to be a championship contender if if Ben Simmons isn't there, but you haven't gotten a return on Ben Simmons. I still, I don't know. I'm probably, if I'm Philly, I'm making this super awkward and trying to call his bluff because I think unless, unless there's a team that comes along and look, their initial asking price was ridiculous, even if Ben Simmons is the player that you think that he is. You need to get, like, this is, you can't fuck around here is my point. Joel Embiid is going to miss between 21 and 82 games every single season. Like, that needs to be into the calculus of what you're trading Ben Simmons for. So those are my, is there a team that just hasn't, isn't being mentioned right now that you'd like to see get involved? And what is the outcome of all this before, let's say, before the season? Is Ben Simmons on a different team, or is he still with the Sixers? I think Minnesota is going to happen. That's my guess. You know, obviously no sources are telling me that or anything, just pure speculation, somewhat educated, I think. Yeah, exactly. Um, The one part of your scenario that I think you're leaving out is Joel Embiid, because what happens when Embiid, who likes to talk a little bit on social media sometimes, what happens when they aren't winning and he isn't in the MVP conversation despite playing at a similar level and he starts putting pressure on the organization and all of a sudden you run the risk of making your enduring best player feel uncomfortable and want out. I don't think you can risk that. He did tweet out in support of Ben Simmons, which leads me to believe that he saw the rumor nah. trade packages and was like, oh, he can I go watch his post-game that. press conferences in the playoffs and 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 tell me how he really feels like, I, I feel like that's a little bit disingenuous at this point, too I little, think, too late. I think the team I would like to see get involved is San Antonio, uh, probably outside of character. And they drafted a fourth grader at number 12. So I think that implies that they're rebuilding, but shout out Josh Primo, who's actually 18. I, I just, that's the team that w- I like the fit for Simmons where he might be able to have a little bit more control. And then maybe he's the face of a, a rebuild or a retool and they can structure the roster around him. San Antonio has a lot of interesting stuff now with Derek Wright, DeJounte Murray, 
Devin Vassell, Thaddeus Young is there, picks, maybe if they get a third team involved. That would be just the dark horse team to watch. Just making that move would be wildly out of character for them specifically. I also have not heard this discussed at all. And I wonder if you think it's possible for him to end up in Boston without Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum leaving. I can't tell if you're being sarcastic right now. No, I'm, I'm entirely what is, serious. What is the like, trade? They, if they throw every pick under the sun at them, Robert Williams. They can't. Richard. They can't trade him. They extended him. Same with Marcus oh, yeah. Smart. Yeah. Um, they would be, if this was next summer, I might be next, more inclined yeah. to agree with you. Um, but yeah, I don't think. Bo- I forgot I about that part. But in theory, those three together would be really appealing. Yeah. And I wouldn't trade Jalen Brown for Ben Simmons. I wouldn't either. Yeah. It would be cool to see him in Dallas. They just don't have anything to offer. Other than that, though, I've, I really don't have any sleeper destinations. I mean, like, I guess you, can, you could – a team like the Orlando Magic could potentially put together enough pieces, but why would they? Like, if you're the Magic, sure, you can float, you know, Jonathan Isaac and Chumo Kiki and – Cole Anthony and picks and get Ben Simmons to be the face of your franchise. But why, why would you do that? So I think we, we we're entering the realm now where it's like, okay, like you could put together feasible packages, but why in the world would it happen? Yeah. Look, a lot of teams are like, I would like him in Charlotte, but like they're kind of hamstrung on what they could offer now. And yes, unless they're using Gordon Hayward after extending Terry Rozier. So, and Chicago's already like gone through all these different motions um, it's just because Zach Levine would have been great for Philly if that could have been part of the deal. So yeah, you are right. There only feels like there's like a half dozen or so realistic destinations at this personally, point. Personally, personally, I want to see him on the Utah Jazz with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. Just so, to see, I just want to see how those two fan bases would interact after that. So, that's all. That's the only the only impetus here for even mentioning that. That's like not a possibility. It's Royce O'Neal, Joe Ingles, and Boyan Bogdanovich. And then I don't even think they could legally trade a pick. I think they would have to like first allow like in 2027 or 2025 like five at this point. So 2026. So they can trade, they can probably trade one first round pick, and there's no guarantee it would convey. Um, that would be mega interesting too. Washington, maybe if they move off the Beal train, like that's still sort of a looming possibility. I guess, but you wouldn't if you're Washington and you're trading Beal and starting over. You don't like the idea of Beal there. I don't like the idea of starting with with Simmons. I think he is like a complimentary star. I just I don't He's think you want him 25. as your loaned big talent. And I guess the I guess the thinking there is then you're not bad enough to get a high draft pick, perhaps. But yeah, if, I, I think he just he he would just put you in that lower middle class in the NBA permanently. I'd probably be too intrigued to do it because with Beal entering free agency, if that's, if that's what happens, it's because Beal's entering free agency mm-hmm. and you're probably getting other stuff from Philly at this point. Are you not? It's not Ben Simmons for Beal straight up anymore. That would Washington's be a fascinating trade. Let's get into this exercise though, of uh, predicting our most likely breakout player for every Eastern conference team. Do you want to start us off since I'm bad at the alphabet? I can do that. Uh, the first team alphabetically is the Atlanta Hawks. And I, I should preface this first by saying that when we went through this exercise, we were not allowed to pick rookies just because there's nothing to break out from. We stayed away when we could from all-stars because even if they could ascend to another level, it's not really a breakout so much as a continued ascension. 
and we were largely focused on things that don't seem universally guaranteed to happen. I think the best example is LaMelo Ball with the Charlotte Hornets. Like, yeah, he is likely to break out and become, if not an all-star, an all-star candidate in the Eastern Conference. But that just feels a little bit too easy. So there, there are some that might fall into that category, none quite that obvious. Anything right. to add on the criteria before I kick off the Hawks? I tackled it the exact same way. I was a little bit more um, bullish on sophomores too, where it's like, you know, unless there weren't a, gr- a lot of great other options, or I really think that their role mm-hmm. was materially going to change. I did try to avoid that, but I actually, the second team on this list includes a sophomore. So pretty good. Yeah, I, I, have, I have a few sophomores for sure. Uh, for the Hawks though, my, my pick, it was between Cam Radish and DeAndre Hunter. And I am going to go with Hunter because I, I think we're seeing a little bit more growth as a wing defender that they really need. He also is showcasing a little bit more off the bounce ability, which looked really shaky early in his career. And he was far less reliant on corner threes as a sophomore. He, uh, he went from 94.4 to 90.3% assisted on threes as well. So he's starting to operate more above the break. He's starting to operate more off the dribble and the Hawks still do need that other source of offense, both when Trey young isn't on the court, and when he's just facing a lot of defensive attention and needs a breather. So to me, Hunter feels a little bit more likely to develop into that three and D stalwart that Atlanta needs, even if Reddish has similarly high upside. I picked DeAndre Hunter too, and I don't think Reddish's upside is nearly as high, just because I think DeAndre Hunter showed a lot more off the bounce last season before he started dealing with injuries. And so if you have someone who can hit some pull-up jumpers in addition to spot-up jumpers, and then also... Not, not just hold up defensively, but unlock some truly harrowing small ball combinations. That's a big deal in Atlanta. And I think um, we might even be able to, he might have more value with Onyeka Kongwu going to miss a huge chunk of the season. I know they signed Gorgie Jang and they just extended Clint Capella, but like there are going to be minutes where John Collins is at the five. And a lot of those lineups are going to work because of DeAndre Hunter being the four spot um, in those units. And so I think even if you boil it down to opportunity, I would argue that Atlanta might just play Kevin Herter more than Cam Reddish at this point, mm-hmm. and that Hunter is still going to have the, the bigger opportunity. And so he was kind of the clear pick for me. And I think the biggest aspect of his game that I want to see is, is the secondary playmaking and sort of the off-the-bounce stuff. Is that for real? And then, of course, can he stay healthy enough? But if you tell me that he misses fewer than 15 games, I think he's going to have one hell of a season. And I think yep. people forget he was involved in the onset most improved player discussion last season. So this is someone with a very, very high ceiling. Yeah. It's amazing. The Hawks, uh, a reigning Eastern conference finalist and still so much room for growth. Uh, They will not win the title next year though. Sorry. Teasing a piece that I'm about to publish on that, but Boston is up next. Am I right? Did I, you are. I, I think the only two options here, well, I, I guess you can go with Robert Williams, but I just feel like maybe I'm too uh, harping too much on how NBA Twitter has zoomed into him. I went with Peyton Pritchard, so a sophomore. He generated some fringe all-rookie buzz last year because of how well he shot from three. In summer league, he was amazing. He looked so much more comfortable operating off the dribble. He had some sort of just dipsy-doo misdirection handles. Um, was comfortable throwing up ultra deep threes off the bounce or, or off the catch. And when you kind of look at how Boston's roster is set up now, okay, great. They signed Dennis Schroeder for a discount, but you lost Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier. 
one of your pro- your one of your primary playmakers, if not who's supposed to be your primary playmaker in Kemba, and then one of your secondary ball handlers, replacing them with Dennis Schroeder, like that's a big friggin' eh to me. And so you're gonna need, I still think, someone else to step up in that role aside from Tatum, Smart, Al Horford's there, of course, too. I mentioned Dennis Schroeder. I think there's going to be a real opportunity there. And he will hustle on defense. I do not agree with anyone that was calling him White Kyrie uh, at Summer League. Uh, that happens, I guess, when you're a Celtics fan and drunk off your ass. But <laughs> there was really just like a lot of directionality to his offensive game on the break in the half court. This is someone who I don't, if you ask me to peg his ceiling in the NBA, I have no idea. But just the way he was handling the ball and the comfort with which he was maneuvering in and out of traffic. I'm going to be watching him closely next year. And I'm just wondering whether he will actually get the opportunity. My guess is he does just because I think the Celtics have to default to rolling the dice on someone. And if you're asking me to choose between who plays more minutes next year, between Aaron Naismith, Romeo Langford and Peyton Pritchard, I'm going to go with Pritchard. So I want to preface this by saying that we did not share any of our picks beforehand. So we genuinely don't know how in sync we're going to be here, but we are now two for two. Because I, I also thought about Robert Williams III and decided that I just don't think it's scalable enough. Like, yeah, he's going to be dominant in these small doses. But if you're going to break out, that has to happen in 25 to 30 minutes a game. And I just don't know that given how, uh, how, how much he relies on spurts and the extreme bursts of athleticism and the full hustle plays that it's fully scalable. And that's fine. That. Like Nerlens Noel has carved out a valuable role doing exactly that. And I think that's the kind of ceiling we're looking at for Williams here, which is not an insult. So Pritchard was my choice as well. I think it's easy to forget about him since he's behind Marcus Smart, since he's presumably behind Dennis Schroeder, at least to start the season in the rotation. But he was already so steady in so many areas as a rookie and did not thrive in the area that he dominated most at at Oregon. He was just a hell of a pick and roll player. He showed so much passing chops. He showed the ability to make shots in so many different situations. But as a rookie per synergy, he only shot 39.4% out of ball screens. He only made 28.9% of his pick and roll pull-up jumpers. Hashtag to friend of the pod, Adam Spinella for that. If that even regresses close to his mean, that's already a ton of growth in and of itself. So the reason I'm calling him a breakout is because I think he's going to start the season as the third guard in that rotation between Smart and Schroeder. He's going to finish it first or second. And I don't know that there are that many players in Boston who have that much opportunity to make significant rotational strides this season. Like, yeah, you can look at Aaron Neesmith, Romeo Langford, maybe Grant Williams, but probably not to the extent that Pritchard can improve where he stands within the organization. Yeah, and so quickly, if anyone can hear the rain being pelted in by the window, Matt, I apologize. And if you also heard the national weather, I don't hear it at all. Uh, Yeah, it is uh, wild weather here right now. It's rained like four inches in the last hour. So apologize if anyone heard that. Uh, A note on Williams quickly, if he is playing 25 to 30 minutes of a game, that's also great. And yet it means that Al Horford is probably playing too much power forward at the same time. So I'm totally with you there as well. And I just, Pritchard's season is going to be fascinating. I don't even know, you know, so you're saying that he's going to be, I guess we're assuming Schroeder and Smart start. And that's what you mean by the third guard. So yeah, and then we won't have Jalen Brazil. I'm I'm with you there. And so that, that will have the opportunity that we talked about. Do you want to take us into the next team? Yeah, Brooklyn Nets are next. And I feel like this is a pretty 
easy self-explanatory one because they don't have many options to break out. So it was Kyrie just Irving. default default Kyrie. I mean, Nicholas Claxton, um, go dogs, obligatory shout out there. But it's all about the defense because this team needs someone who can play defense and he's the option. He, he can guard a bunch of positions. He can reasonably protect the rim in smaller lineups. There's still more offense to plumb from him if injuries strike and they need some source of offense beyond the big three. But who else can you pick here? Yeah, I mean, like, I thought, look, if you wanted to pick rookies, Cam Johnson might just be an instant bucket. So, oh, not Cam Johnson. Oh, my God. I got to stop. I Look, all apologies. You've you've switched those two up a number of times. Well, no, I've called him Cam Stewart as well. So apologies (laughs) to Cam Thomas. But you could pick him, but we excluded rookies. And just like, unless you think that Reggie Perry is going to get real minutes for this team. And I think it's more set up for Nicholas Claxton to actually be a breakout player. Um, You don't have Jeff Green there, who is very important to your five rotation. You did bring back Blake Griffin, but you're apparently – um, on the verge, it looks like, of brokering a buyout with DeAndre Jordan. So there are just less, less obstacles there, even after drafting uh, Dayron Sharp. And this is just, given how much the net net switched last year, like you almost have to view uh, Claxton as probably your starting, maybe he's not your closing five, but I would think right now he's your main center. Perhaps it's always just sort of this mismatch in Brooklyn, but he is just one of the, the switchiest bigs that we have seen in quite some time. And I think you can work with him on the offensive end, he's not going to space the floor, but he got better at screening. He will roll to the basket a ton. And this stat still blows my mind. Um, among 511 players who stand 6'10 or taller and have logged at least 300 minutes in a single season since 2013-2014, Claxton ranks second in partial possession spent defending point guards. He trails only last season's Ben Simmons, and that comes per the basketball index, a great site. So I, I think... He, he he's kind of their only option, but he's almost necessary too for them at this point. And they kind of didn't rely on him so much last year. Let's see if he also stays healthy enough to log a ton of minutes. And I don't expect him to play. If you gave me an over under of 22 minutes per game, I might be reticent to go with the over there. I just think with the lack of other options, how do you pick anyone else on this yeah. team? My, my two random observations about Nicholas Claxton. One is that, I kind of think that he could become like modern Andre Kirilenko on this team. Like that's the guy I keep coming back to when I think about what his ceiling might look like. And I'm just curious what you think of that. I don't know that I see it. I guess perhaps on defense. Mostly on defense. Not so much on offense. I don't, man, I keep going back to that possession in crunch time where Nicholas Claxton just like shut down Damian Lillard and want to say yes. Right. But that's like, Will he consistently defend the positions outside of center enough, though? And I, I don't know. I think he will just to preserve the offensive standouts. It makes sense to have him switch. Yeah, look, I mean, when you have the other personnel in Brooklyn, you kind of need to. I think really what might be the determining factor is how much do they want to go with Blake Griffin slash Bruce Brown at the mm. five. Those are probably the two guys that I think could most cut into his minutes. And let, oh, James Johnson's there, too. So it still might be this sort of hodgepodge role. But if you had to guess who logs the most minutes per game at the five this year, I think Claxton's number Probably one and no Claxton. lower than second. Like maybe yeah. Griffin is two, uh, is is first, but he'll definitely be in the top two. My other random observation is that it is a downright travesty that his jersey number is not 17 
because NC-17 would be a phenomenal nickname for a guy like that who's just a defensive havoc-wreaking specialist. Okay, I'm with it. So this is the official start of my petition to get Nicholas Claxton to change his jersey number to 17. <laughs> Let's move on to the Charlotte Hornets. I'm on fire today with the alphabet. The only pick here is Mason Plumley in my book. Yeah, I actually- how many more triple-doubles is he going to have? This is kind of tough because like we said, we ruled out LaMelo ball and I think you can kindly only narrow it down to two people. And does miles bridges this season count as a breakout year in 2020, 2021? I think you could go that route. I'm just going to go with PJ Washington. I don't think he receives enough credit for being plug and play on offense. There's a smoothness there to his game. I also think that what they did over the off season intimates very strongly they're still committed to playing small you have mason Plumley, but you let cody zeller go you did draft kai jones you have vernon carry jr who like are, are are you playing either of those guys a ton i imagine kai jones spends a ton of time in the g league are you trying to move jt thor up for minutes as a rookie to the five so i think washington gets a ton of looks at the five with this team and they're way more interesting in those lineups now that kelly Oubre jr is there to me and if we presume that both LaMelo Ball and Gordon Hayward are going to be healthier. He's not the best defender, but he has like real malleability there. And there are some lineups with him at the five where the rebounding is just not as bad as you would expect. So I think this is a season where we look back and there will be people, I still think they deserve to be fine a draft pick for not signing Rashawn Holmes at this point. The fact that he went so cheap, but I'm, I'm, I think there are a lot of people that were against them not going the traditional big route. And let's just assume that Rashawn Holmes wasn't a legitimate option or he wanted to stay in Sacramento so much. You would have had to pay him $18 million a year for the record. I still would have done it, but I don't mind them going small. And I thought they played better defensively on the floor last season. When you look at some of the switching, when you look at how he stood up against certain stronger players, um, I think they played, they weren't good, but they were better defensively than I expected. And so what does this guy look like in year three is basically where I'm at. And I think he'll be significantly better. And maybe he just has a little bit more refinement and polish to his offensive game. Like there's, I think there's a smoothness there that can translate to him kind of doing stuff with the ball on the floor, not in super tight spaces. Regardless, there's a scalability to the way he plays offense. That is ideal for having LaMelo ball, Gordon Hayward, even Terry Rozier. And now you have a floor runner like Kelly Bray jr. Who's going to need to be a play finisher and dominate on the ball and really slash through the lane. PJ Washington's perfect for those lineups because he's not going to try to occupy the space that Ubre is navigating. How many teams do you think we're going to go before we have a disagreement? Oh no, are we in lockstep again? We're in lockstep again. It has to be PJ Washington here. This team is just screaming for a small ball five. He fits the bill there. I don't really have that much to add because you covered it so extensively and thoroughly. I do want to ask you, though, what percentage do you think he shot on corner threes through the first two years of his career? 53%. 46.1%. Okay. I don't know why I went in the 50s there. I knew that it's really the- high. <laughs> like, he regressed a little bit as a sophomore and is still shooting 46.1% on corner threes. Like, if you don't want to view that as a breakout candidate with a full season of LaMelo Ball passing him the rock, after he drives to the basket and they compress around him, like that number might go up. Right. If you tell me LaMelo Ball and Gordon Hayward miss, let's say fewer than 30 games between them, PJ Washington's offensive numbers are probably going to look pretty spiffy. Yeah. And that team is just going to be so fun. If that's the case, 
Because if they truly are committing to those smaller looks, those five out offenses, that is going to be a real fun team. But you could also make the case, by the way, that he's a better fit at the four beside Mason Plumley at the five than Miles sure. Bridges too. That's sure. something that looms over this as well. That's and that's fine. Mason Plumley is still fun. No, Sometimes. I'm not. Eh, Mason Plumley is 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 vanilla, literally. But he's also like just sort of bland. <laughs> but can you take us to the next team? Yeah, Chicago Bulls time. This one was uh was a little bit trickier, I thought, because the construction of the team has changed so much where all of a sudden Lonzo Ball is there. We're going to see Nikola Vucevic for a full season. Um, Ayo Desumu could could make some noise, but... I hope I feel he does. Like it, I was high on him. He's a rookie, so we yeah, didn't pick him, but exactly. I, I really liked him. I, I think it has to be Patrick Williams because he was so much more advanced than expected as a rookie. We knew, I I think he was the youngest NCAA prospect in that draft class. We knew it was going to, or we thought we knew it was going to take time for him to develop into an actual contributor at the NBA level. Who knew the three point stroke was going to be so advanced right away that his physicality would hold up throughout a season as he showed off that optionality on defense. He legitimately looked like he could contribute in every facet of the game. So I went to 538's player projections, and I was just curious who his comps were going to be because he feels like a unique player where we don't see that many guys with this skill set. You know, you heard the Kawhi Leonard comparisons going into the draft. And, you know, there, there are busts scattered throughout those most comparable players through one season. Maurice Harkless is there. Um, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist is there. But also among the top 10, Marvin Williams, Aaron Gordon, Jason Tatum, Brandon Ingram, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. And that's just a fascinating blend of different calibers of players and differing skill sets, which I think speaks volumes about how versatile and plug and play in so many different areas he already is as a rising sophomore. So he already has two established all-stars who he's playing alongside and yet it still feels like he could take over and make this like his team in the near future. Yeah. I mean, look, I picked Patrick Williams as well. I also think <laughs> unless you really, yeah, hopefully we'll disagree soon, uh, but maybe that'll also make for a more efficient podcast. We might make it to Indiana. It, but I think unless you're going to go with Kobe white, or you think that Lonzo ball is reaching another level in Chicago, which if you think that he's going to all of a sudden run a bunch of pick and rolls, hit a bunch of jumpers off the dribble, then sure, I'm not going to fight against that. Patrick Williams is the obvious candidate. I, you already focused on his offense, but I'm very curious to see there quickly is, is, is that three-point clip going to translate when he's taking more? And presumably he should have to when you look at the, the way the rest of the roster is set up. I do sort of wonder if the offensive volume will be available to him based off the personnel around him to show like real advancement. I'd like to see the ball in his hands a little bit more. I don't think that's going to happen. I'm most intrigued with him defensively because he is just, he, he might be a defensive dynamo. Like, no, I'm not going to compare him to, uh, you know, Kawhi Leonard, but he was the, the guy on the Chicago Bulls who guarded the number one or the number two option, essentially, almost irrespective of position. It wasn't someone who was going after a ton of point guards, um, clearly. His matchup difficulty, according to Basketball Index's um, matchup difficulty metric, was 88.2, which ranks in the top 25 of guys in the entire league the entire league who logged at least 1800 minutes last season. So like that role is what I'm trying to establish. It was a difficult defensive role and he was fine. 
in it. Like he wasn't shutting guys down, but when you look at the breadth of assignments that he covered, how hard they were, I really thought he held his own. I don't know if the Bulls are putting him in too compromising of a position to where if he's on the floor with Levine and Vooch and DeRozan at the same time, maybe that's too much pressure. But it wasn't like he was surrounded by a bunch of great defensive talent anyway last season. Thaddeus Young was obviously there, but that's really kind of it. So I think this is someone who's going to shine on defense so much that he's going to be one of the, I don't even want to say unsung heroes of this team if the Bulls hit. I think if the Bulls hit, it'll be very evidently because Patrick Williams has made some sort of material measurable leap on the defensive end while just emerging as the perfect complement on offense. And the other thing I will wonder is when you look at the structure of this team right now, he might be their backup five. Now, I don't know if they're planning on playing Derek Jones Jr. there, but like it can't be Tony Bradley. That can't be your backup. Maybe it is. But he'll get some minutes at the five. We'll see how maybe that that's the, those are the lineups in which his offense could hum even more. And there's also the element of default here. I don't think this roster is set up anymore for Kobe White to even break out. And like I said, I am a Lonzo Ball believer, but I think the best version of him is kind of a more extreme version of what we saw last season and not someone who has broadened their skill set significantly. Right. Patrick Williams turned 20 last week. That There's is... so much potential left. I, I don't think I would be that surprised. I'd be a little surprised. I don't know that I'd be shocked if we're talking about the Bulls with three all-star candidates this coming season. And Patrick Williams is one of them? And Patrick Williams is one of them. That would shock me. I'm, yeah. that, I'm that high on him. My God. Let's move. I, I can't even fathom that. Let's move on to Cleveland. Uh, <laughs> I think this one was you, – you have like a – This was a tough one. Yeah, it was tough, but I think you have to go with Darius Garland here. I don't think people Yes. We have a disagreement. Okay. Good. I don't think mainstream NBA media or just team fans outside of Cleveland understand how good this guy is. Like there is real wiggle to his offensive game. He shot 35.7% on pull threes last year, and that number was better towards the talent of the campaign. He I think he was scorching hot on them. He's more of a threat to score off the dribble than Colin Sexton is at this point from the perimeter. At least Sexton can obviously do stuff on drives. Not, I wouldn't say as accurate as a shooter as Sexton right now. He's turned into like this bankable catch-and-shoot guy. But Derek Collins also a real floor general. And that's why I think he's probably the youngster right now, unless you count Evan Mobley or you literally just count the $100 million they gave Jared Allen, that they have to be the most vested in moving forward because he is probably – they're looking at this roster. Some people are going to say it's Mobley. I disagree. Darius Garland is now their best shot at having sort of this flagship cornerstone. And I think his offensive game will continue to expand. He's a real control over the defense in the half court. And I think that manipulation will grow. Um, We have to see if they do have the right personnel around him. I think he was already good enough to kind of graduate from this discussion. But to me, not enough people were talking about it last season. And so much attention is paid to, um, you know, Colin Sexton mostly because he's extension eligible, I think. But even other guys on this roster, people are Evan Mobley now, obviously. Jaron Allen received a lot of attention after getting traded because of a short role passing. I, I think it's Darius Garland for me. He's just not fully appreciated yet. And this is the season to me that he plays well enough to sort of transition into the, the national conversation on a daily basis. I thought for a long time about this one and, and strongly considered Garland, but I do have to go with Jared Allen. I think that the fact that Cleveland just handed him a four-year, $30 billion contract says a lot about what they intend to do with him. 
And ultimately, if, if you look at the roster construction, his presence is going to make things a lot easier for a lot of other players because Except with his, Mobley. Well, I, I even disagree with that because I think that you have to view Mobley as a versatile guy uh, because of his ball handling ability, because of his switch ability, because he can defend in so many spots within the half court. And I think that having Allen on the court with him frees him up to do a lot of other things and test the waters a little bit more as a rookie. He's a good compliment for Laurie Markkinen if you're trying to figure out what you might have in him, just because it, it, his defensive ability alone, his role ability, it, it frees Markkinen up to be that focused stretch four that he should be. Um, Allen was awesome after moving into the starting lineup last year um, on a permanent basis over the, his last 40 games. 13.6 points, 10.6 rebounds, 1.8 assists, 1.3 blocks, 59.9% shooting from the field. I think those numbers go up as this team gets better around him, as Garland takes even more defensive attention. Once they develop true pick and roll synergy, he's Allen's numbers get more efficient and happen with even higher volume. So I think he is a beneficiary of them needing to feature him because of the contract they just gave him and the development of everyone around him. I think that Garland continuing to improve from what's already a, a really high level really helps his case here. That's an interesting way to look at it. I just think that they have shoehorned him and Evan Mobley, even Larry marketed into just sort of this front court carousel that is going to diminish a lot of returns for them. I think it's intriguing to look at it from the perspective of, well, maybe he helps Mobley because now Mobley is, probably only going to guard backup fives. I would assume he's going to play power forward most of the time, and he'll be one of the backup centers. But I'm just trying to think of what Jared Allen does best on defense, even on offense. And there are going to be lineups where both Mobley and Larry Marketing might be on the floor with him. I'm just not about it. Do you think we'll see that? How else are they? Look, have you looked at their wing rotation? It doesn't actually really exist. They have Isaac Okoro. Right. It's bad. And, yeah. So, and is but I, just, I, I can't see them playing Marketing at three. I'm sorry. The Bulls did last year, and they didn't even have to. Cleveland almost. Yeah, had but that's the Bulls, the, and this is the Cavs. So the numbers for the Bulls during those minutes were actually really good with marking mm-hmm. at the three. It was just sub 300 possessions. That, re- regardless, I just I don't like the idea of him playing with Mobley. I just I hate See, it. I really like those two together. No, it is. I think it was categorically stupid to pay Jared Allen 100 million dollars and draft Evan Mobley. I, I don't think it's a smart use of resources, but I don't know that that prevents it from being an intriguing pairing. No, it's, it's, it was a bad use of resources because it's not an intriguing pairing. That's just where, that's just where I'm like, maybe, maybe defensively, but I don't know. No, I can't, maybe I'll, I hope I eat crow on this. I want to see that succeed, but I probably feel a little bit differently too, if the Larry marketing trade, which we didn't talk about here. And if, if I had to just sum that up in under 10 seconds, very much a win for Portland. I don't know how a team like Chicago prioritizes winning now, but then prioritizes getting a draft pick instead of the better player in this deal, Larry Nash Jr., and it's a home run for the Blazers. Um, I, although their their pick is protected for like until the end of time, I, I still think they won this deal clearly. I hate it for Cleveland. I'm a little confused by it for Chicago, but I like Derek Jones Jr. there. But for Cleveland specifically, like if I, if Larry Nash Jr. was still there, if they had Derek Jones Jr. instead of just like a a more truer I'm wing. With you. I, I hate it. Um, I will be, if you're right on this, congratulations. But I don't, I I don't know how Jared differ Allen a lot on our win projections. When we do win projections for the East, I think there, we're going to have a discrepancy here. Uh, it's going to be fun to go back and see how much we, how many times we missed on our win projections last year, by the way. 
we should i think that should be part of that episode is it, it will be i tracked it good, so we're good. and i'll track it again this year you know that i beat you Yikes. i'm nervous now let's move on to the next team though and let everyone know that i beat adam in the win projection game <laughs> is it my turn to leave this one off it is detroit pistons um i'm gonna i'm just gonna go with sadiq bay here uh, it's it's time for the world to catch up on how good he was as a rookie now that the Pistons are going to be more relevant, they have better pieces across the board and Cade Cunningham getting national attention. So they're just going to be in the spotlight a little bit more. And I think that the recognition is going to catch up with the level of play because Sadiq Bey was a true two-way option as a rookie. He was a great shooter. He showed developing ball skills throughout the season. He was a versatile wing defender who could guard multiple positions and hold his own again as a rookie. So I don't think Bay is going to be anywhere close to the Pistons' best player down the road. Uh, but this is the guy who's going to explode next year, both in terms of production and attention. He definitely has more ball skills to plumb than I thought. I didn't pick him because I'm curious to see what type of opportunity he has on offense now that Cade Cunningham is there. You still have Jeremy Grant. And then my pick is Killian Hayes. And I know I'm working from an awfully low baseline, but there were people who were just shitting all over his summer league. I thought about it for this, for this exact reason, just FYI. And look, this is what I saw from Killian Hayes. He played in fewer than 30 games last season. The efficiency was absolutely terrible. As a rookie, and usually as a sophomore, uh, unless it's like, you know, he's missing a ton of layups left and right. You throw out the efficiency, there is visible feel there to me. He is crafty, Killian Hayes, when getting defenders on his hip, has exuded patience in traffic, and tossed some really artful passes. I think he'll be a better jump shooter, and that's why I'm not as concerned about his fit alongside Cade Cunningham. Killian Hayes shot 47.4% between 10 and 14 feet after rejoining the rotation. I think there is hope there for his jumper. He deserves patience. I think because the Pistons still aren't necessarily trying to be good, and maybe Cade Cunningham is a star right off the bat, so transcendent that they're kind of in Charlotte Hornets territory, um, of last year, this year, but they have the freedom to experiment. And just when you look at the rest of the roster, I they need a, a, a real true second shot creator. And I'm sorry, it's not Jeremy Grant. I don't view it as Sadiq Bay. And even when you're sort of looking at who is the best chance of being a co-all-star for Cade Cunningham, that's already on the roster. Killian, I wouldn't pick anyone. Killian Hayes is the best bet to me, though. Just Jeremy Grant's too old, and I don't think his game's ever going to reach that level. There is, shout out to Detroit Pistons YouTube, which is extremely bullish on Isaiah Stewart and thinks that he's a future all-star. I don't, I think he's a, will be a good starting center. And we're high on, we did the podcast where we featured Isaiah Stewart as one of, as I think one of the most underrated players in the league, but it's Killian Hayes. He got some all hardwood Knox mentions too. Yeah. Maybe that's where it was, but whatever. I, it could be Sadiq Bay, but I think because we haven't seen enough of Killian Hayes, there's going to be more opportunity there for him. And I really think even working from that, ultra low rock bottom baseline we've just veered too far can we plead like this kid isn't even old enough to drink yet and barely played in the nba so i think i still think that he has a chance to be good i agree with you that he's the most likely second all-star behind Cade cunningham i think you're a year early here to be honest um mostly because this is this feels more like a true rookie season for him you know even if he was around the team and and learning how to be a professional like he was doing that overseas already um, before he came to the NBA. So this is the first time he's gone through the more full offseason with summer league, with preseason, with training camp and all that. And the two biggest warts in his game, even before he'd played a single minute 
in the NBA looked like there were going to be his shooting percentages and his turnovers, which are two things that rookie guards tend to struggle with as they make the transition to the NBA, which is just a little bit more fast, which is a little more physical. Um, Those are just the two areas that those guards typically struggle with. So I I think that we're a year away from that because he's still going to go through the difficulties before he can get over those hurdles starting from such a low point and just has a little bit too much to work on. I agree about his potential and I feel like I would 100% agree with everything you said this time next year. The next team is mine, the Indiana Pacers. There's this is hard just because this is the hardest one, except for the next one. <laughs> <laughs> I went with, and it's an older player because I don't really know that you can go with it. If we're not picking rookies, like, do you really think that they're going to get just like a huge season from Brissett or Keelan Martin? I just don't, I don't know that I see it. Uh, I went with Karis Levert. He is their best point of attack playmaker to me. And a lot of stuff is going to flow through um, Sabonis and Malcolm Brogdon as well. He is still their best point of attack playmaker to me. He showed it in Brooklyn too. Not that he was better than when Kyrie was there, but he can really run an offense. And the fact that his season was all over the place last year because of his availability upon arriving in Indiana, this is someone who is better at hitting off the dribble jumpers than shooting complimentary set shots from the outside. That is Maybe it's a red flag, but like he's eventually going to be an okay catch and shoot guy. And the fact that you have someone who can replace what you were missing from peak Victor Oladipo when he all of a sudden started dealing with injuries and went downhill, like there's not that same explosion there. I don't think the like once you get around the basket, but he can get to the line. But he's more importantly, he's someone who can really hit some tough off the dribble jumpers and then really run your offense from that point of attack. And I think that we're if he stays fully healthy, which I'm, I'm hoping he does, I hope every player does, we're going to look back on this as maybe a fringe all-star campaign for him. It might be too deep in the East when you're looking at just, you know, twos, two threes, looking at that sort of uh, field for him to really enter that conversation. But I think he's fully capable of it. And I've been driving, been one of the drivers, because there are many, of the Karis Avert bandwagon for a while. This dude can be really good. And I, I think that... I think that Indiana is still set up to where they need him to be really good. So he'll have the opportunity to be really good on offense and have the ball in his hands and that he's just going to rise to the occasion there. Maybe that changes if they're like somewhat married to featuring TJ Warren more on ball. Now that he's healthier, I still think he's probably best suited as someone who spends a lot of time off the ball. And even so there's a lot of just, when you look at maybe how, when they stagger the minutes of some of their best players, Karis Levert might be some of the connective tissue for like, the lineups that don't have Sabonis in them. It was really hard for me not to go with Karis Levert here, but I did end up picking TJ Warren because I do think they're going to feature him on the ball. What he was during that brief bubble spurt, that's not indicative of what we should expect here. He's not going to average 31 points a game, but I would not be surprised given not just his skill level, but how much he was developing before he got hurt. I wouldn't be surprised if he's their go-to scorer, like regardless of, of role. Um, This is a guy who, again, pre-injury was starting to figure out how to draw a little more contact and get to the line. He was starting to show not just a willingness to pass sometimes, but also good instincts when a second help defender came or when he was operating on the role, like the, the passes started to be more intelligent. His defense really started to improve. 
for whatever reason, a, a guy who was a total defensive liability entering the NBA suddenly looked buckled down on that end of the floor, which gives him even more of a path to a featured role because he can hold his own on that end. Now you're not just sacrificing one end of the court for the other. So because he's been filling in those cracks within his own game, I think he's going to be the guy in Indiana this coming season. No disrespect meant to DeMontis Sabonis or Miles Turner, both of whom are fantastic all-star caliber players whose games just aren't suited to be that go-to option. So it's Warren for me, but the connective tissue part of Levert's game makes him a, a 1B to me. There And look, you mentioned TJ Warren's defense. That dude, for most of the previous, not last year, the year before, he was guarding number one options, and it was like not getting a lot of help. Like he had to fight out of nowhere and all that shit. And yeah, um, credit to Dan Burke for, you know, he's done a lot with when he's in Indiana before, and he's actually no longer with Indiana. So that, that stinks for them. I, I would, I think, it had to be one of those two options really to me. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know agreed. what other direction you could go in. And I think TJ Warren's intriguing, especially because he, he didn't play for much of last year. I'm surprised you thought this next team. It's yours was harder though, because there's only one option. There's only one option. And I don't believe in him. So I refuse to pick. The I literally am not slander is out of control. <laughs> I'm not going to pick because let's just go through the big names on the roster. Kyle Lowry, Victor Oladipo, Duncan Robinson, Jimmy Butler, PJ Tucker, Markeith Morris, Bam Adebayo, who we mentioned earlier, like because he's already at the all-star level, I'm not picking him, even though I think he's going to make another jump. And then Tyler Hero and Casey Okpala. Okpala is not going to be a prominent enough member of the rotation. I just don't think that Tyler Hero is a star. So Hero is so by You have default, to be a star to break out now? I, I, considering the reputation he built from the bubble, Yes because he was overvalued to the point of being excluded from trade conversations. So yeah, he's got to be a star to be a breakout in my eyes right now. And I just, I don't see it. So I'm abstaining. I'm, I'm not making a pick. Max Drews is the pick. If you believe his step back jumper from summer league is coming to the, to the regular season. But where is he going to get minutes I, now that they've added Lowry? And the pick is Tyler hero. Here's my thing. The heat, I think are a little bit better at the top with Kyle Lowry over Goran Dragic. And that'll make life easier on Tyler Hero as well. But where I'm really intrigued by Tyler Hero is I don't think he was as bad last year as people thought. It's because there was the report that came out that said the Heat wouldn't include him in a trade for James Harden. Here's my theory behind To that. be clear, I'm not saying he was bad either. Just that I don't think that he his reputation is going to be exceeded by his production. That's fair enough. But I think that perception sort of veered from reality because of that report. And my my gut there is that the Heat let that come out because they had not they had no feasible path to trading for James Harden. And so why let Tyler Hero think that he's involved in these trade negotiations? It's a little bit of an ego bump for him. But Tyler Hero shot 34.4% on his off-the-dribble threes after the All-Star break. After the All-Star break overall, he shot 37.7% from three, averaging 14.4 points per game, 3.2 assists. He was still pretty solid on hitting difficult looks when he would drive to the basket. I think where he struggled, there's the high variance part to his game. And players like him that might always be kicked into it. But they also tried to play him a lot as sort of this pseudo point guard. They might have to do so again. I thought his feel got better as the year went on there. And I'm not saying that's the role that he should be. I'm not saying he's the next Devin Booker because I don't think he is. Push comes to shove. The Miami Heat should have traded Tyler Hero for the player that they thought Tyler Hero was going to become already. That being said, when you look at this roster, it's simultaneously really good. yet still needs him to be good, even though it can be really good independent of him. Like the depth still isn't great. and they're shooting. 
is a big concern. Duncan Robinson is their best shooter. Tyler Hero's number two right now. Like your two best players don't even shoot threes. Kyle Lowry's more experienced off the dribble. Um, but I we might see some regression there given that he's like 86 years old or whatever it is at this point. So I, I think there's a real opportunity for Hero to improve. And I'm with you. I don't view him as a future star, but I actually thought he showed more signs of progress most of the time as the year went on. And again, there's the high variant element to his game that's tough to get around. He's the only option here, but I also think he is a viable. Which is fair. I just, it's more just a principle thing for me where I'm lower than most on the Heat's roster construction. And even if he's their path to that changing, I, it's it's the reputation thing for me. Like, I just, I can't get out of my head that there's a gulf between production and expectations and reputation. And I just, I don't think that can be closed. And to me, like, he could break, maybe he can break out into the player people think he already is. Is that a, is that a breakout? People don't think he's already that player. They think he's one of the most overrated players in the league is my point, though. That is, that is consensus at this point outside of Miami, I would bet. If you're a consensus overrated player, then aren't there people rating you that high by definition? No, because people are thinking that they're railing against other or the actual. But, but who's, think, who's thinking that? There, it's, I mean, it's probably like a straw, writers it's, and, and whatnot. It's a straw man argument at this point. It's like when people say that you know Kyrie Irving can't dribble, and then they post a video of him like cooking people off the dribble. It's it's a fake argument. You're arguing with a brick wall at this point if you're saying Tyler Hero's overrated to me because you think that people are rating him that highly. They're not anymore. I would argue there are more people who are lower on his long-term outlook than super high is, I guess, what I'm getting at. Fair enough. Speaking of super high, um, let me pop this edible really quick and continue podcasting. But <laughs> in all actuality, I found this team to be the toughest in Milwaukee. Hmm. I don't know that Dante DiVincenzo can be a pick. Because I think we've had two years of solid play from him. I'm also curious how many games he's going to play in next season coming back from injury. I defaulted to Grayson Allen. I don't think people watch enough of him in Memphis, and I know he's an annoying player for some. He just gives you a lot of shooting. He can make quick decisions with the ball. He quietly, and it wasn't on a ton of attempts. So, like, you know, we can we can throw that out of the way. But he shot um, on he shot ten he shot fifty percent on pull up threes. Excuse me, thirty five point eight percent on pull-up threes last year. So he has that, like, he can make decisions when putting the ball on the floor uh, element to his game. I think that was a really bang-up trade for Milwaukee. I don't know how big of a role he plays, but because they're the reigning champion, because they're going to get more exposure than a team like the Grizzlies, um, or even when you look at Utah, yeah, Utah gets a ton of exposure, but, like, he wasn't playing a bunch there. So he might play similar minutes in Milwaukee, a team that's just going to garner more national attention than Allen. I think people are really going to stumble along to how valuable he is on the offensive end. And I don't think he can be a better player than Dante DiVincenzo. I do think that he can have similar value offensively. Again, even making quick, quick passes. I'd probably argue that Dante DiVincenzo is better at reading the moment off the ball at this point, but he might be a little bit more valuable when you take in Dante DiVincenzo's health. I ultimately think Dante DiVincenzo was better, more valuable because of his defense. Uh, but Grayson Allen is a pretty good player that I think being around this much talent at the top, when you look at Giannis, Drew Holiday, and Chris Middleton, I think that he could really just put up some numbers as a guy where if he's in a lineup, he's probably the, the fourth option, maybe the fifth option if Brooke Lopez is there. Uh, but if Bobby Portis is there, like that's someone who's like, the, he could be the third option in some lineups. You can move him all over the place. 
I liked that pickup for them. And I think the perception of how valuable he is probably changes after next season in Milwaukee. This team really tripped me up, but I did end up having to go with Grayson Allen. Uh, you even stole some of the stats that I was going to cite. So kudos to you on that one. Um, I, I actually don't think you're giving him enough credit on defense where I, I agree that offense is probably going to be his primary contribution, but this is a guy who over his three NBA seasons has consistently made strides on the defensive end of the floor. And last season in particular, I think we saw him become a much smarter gambler, both in on ball and off ball situations where all of a sudden he was much more disruptive in passing lanes. He was poking the ba- the ball away from you know, the, the primary ball handler a little bit more frequently. And he was doing that without fouling, which was the big key for him. If you can have an aggressive wing slash pseudo guard defender who can play that aggressively, like we see it with Drew Holiday. And I'm not, I'm not comparing Grayson Allen to Drew Holiday, but you know, that, that kind of ability is really valuable, especially when paired with the actual Drew Holiday and Giannis playing free safety. Like this, this defense could be really disruptive and play a scheme that fits Grayson Allen perfectly. So DiVincenzo is definitely the better player. I could see another jump from him. And I thought about him extensively because his injury prevented him from being a part of the title run. So I think that his reputation could have floundered somewhat because of that. People could be forgetting what a crucial part of this team he can be. So I thought about going that direction, but I just, I think Allen has a leap in him on both ends of the court. That's a, that's, that's a good take or an interesting take on his defense. Um, I guess I just view him as less disruptive there. And like him and Dante DiVincenzo are the same size at six, four. And I think you can feel Dante DiVincenzo's disruption away from the ball more. And I, I know you weren't saying that he was better, but I also think you can trust Dante DiVincenzo to guard up. I'm not quite there. With yeah, you don't, you don't want Allen guarding up, but I think within his role, he's become an asset, not a liability. And that's a, that's a big improvement. Who we got next? We have your New York Knicks next. This is the one that I didn't have that many options that I was too intrigued by, just because this is an older roster coached by Tom Thibodeau, who is notoriously hesitant to give young players big roles. So I, I just, I defaulted to RJ Barrett here. I've said it on previous episodes. I think it was a mailbag question about where we think he goes next, that I actually think his per, per his per game numbers are going to go down a little bit this coming season, just because of the Kemba Walker inclusion, the Evan Fournier inclusion, mm-hmm. you know, continuing to feature Julius Randle, maybe plumbing a little bit more from Obi Toppin. But the way he impacts the game is going to be even more impressive because we saw throughout this past season, the growth in every aspect of the game, his feel for offensive sets. Uh, Previously we'd seen teammates not even want to pass him the ball because he wasn't in the right spot. Or if they did, they wouldn't get it back. He was a more willing passer. He was a more engaged teammate. He started to knock down shots from the corners. He made significant defensive strides to the point that he was sometimes tasked with taking on some of the toughest backcourt assignments. We're going to see all of that even more this coming season. So I, I don't expect this to be a huge numerical leap when you're looking just at the basic per game box score stats, but his impact on the game is going to be significantly upticked this year. I didn't pick him just because I don't know what his role is on offense anymore after all the additions they made. And I think for him to break out, he probably needs to have a more active 
self-creation role, and they're not built for him to do that. I agree with everything you said on defense because you can boil it down to this. Who's guarding the toughest perimeter assignment outside of the point guard spot every single night right now? It's our, it has to be sure. RJ Barrett, unless yeah, you think that Quentin Grimes is going to play right away. So, yeah. Alec Burks isn't. I mean, he, he might have to just because who is it going to be Evan Fournier? I, I, I hope you know, not. But RJ Barrett, he was already, he took on a pretty sizable defensive role for them last season. He's going to take on a bigger one now. Agree with everything you said there. I went with Obi Toppin uh, just because he looked more like an NBA player towards the end of last season. I don't know that they've done anything to increase his minutes. You're not going to see. I would love to see him and Randall play together at points and just try and score the Knicks, try and score a trillion points per 100 possessions. But re-signing Nerlens Noel, bringing back Taj Gibson, a healthy Mitchell Robinson, probably precludes that from happening. He should still uh, subsume a lot of the backup four minutes because you don't have anyone who's going to be playing a small ball four role on this team unless you decide to play Barrett or Fournier up, which would be weird. Maybe you believe in Kevin Knox. I think a little you bit could do still. it with Barrett a little bit. You could, but like he's still like he is still. I just I default a lot to what people defend as their position. He still is probably right. gonna have to be the three or the two based on his defensive assignment. So you could. Uh, maybe even look if if you still want to play Kevin Knox, then there's that that element to it as well. I just don't know if the Knicks have the personnel to ensure that Obi Toppin plays fewer minutes than he did last year. I think he'll play a little bit more. His offense, he can make really quick passes after he picks up the ball on the move. There's the shooting, obviously. I also think that there's more slate of direction to his game. Like, there is, he can get around guys and, like, have these tough finishes. There was last season, he just had like, this wild baseline play that finished in a, an absurd pass. There's a lot of versatility there on the offensive end. And I think he just looked like a guy who had more of a clue how to play at both ends of the floor towards the end of last year. And I think that might be good enough to help him crack the rotation this season. It's he was hurt to, at the beginning of the season too, right? Like that, didn't that play a part in the delayed growth? It did. And it didn't just based off how the Knicks like were clear, right. what the Knicks were clearly interested in doing. I, I, I honestly, I thought about picking no one for this team. I think that speaks to how good RJ Barrett was last season, more so than any insult here. And I also, I don't know what Emmanuel Cookley's role is going to be with Kemba, Derek Rose, um, it should still be pretty sizable, but if you want to play Deuce McBride a little bit too, and you assume Kemba and Derrick Rose miss games, you could, you could go with him. I'd listen to it. Um, but I think Toppin is, is the clear pick here. The Orlando Magic. Was- before we move on, before we move oh. on though, I have to share my pre-draft prediction on Obi Toppin because I always like to you know put out a couple of bold was takes it, that I actually Tyrese believe Albert in. Who the Knicks actually should have right. picked. Agreed. But I still said before we knew where he was going, Obi Toppin's translatable three-level scoring skills will make him the first all-star from this class. Expect multiple seasons above 20 points per game, even if his defensive inadequacy keeps him out of the all-NBA conversation. And, you know, like that seems a little bit too high on him now. I will readily admit that. But I'm also never going to switch my opinion on a guy that fast especially when there's growth towards the end of the, of the rookie season. Like, yeah, that was too high of a ceiling, but that doesn't change how much I like him as a prospect. It, what it boils down to to me is will the Knicks play him over Taj Gibson? And, and the that's play. the issue because I don't trust Tibbs to play I don't trust anyone who hasn't been on the Bulls. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Joe Kim Noah could still sign and come out of retirement. Right. I legitimately would not rule that out. The, the magic... 
who we're moving on to now are really tough because they have, I look, I, I didn't make an argument for any rookie. It would just 100% be Jalen Suggs. I think he's going to be fantastic. You could close your eyes, throw a dart at this roster and make a case for whoever it lands on. I think it's going to end up being RJ Hampton. I really like him as a, as a lead ish guard with, with some size, nice feel for the game kind of can slow things down, but he can also be, I, I'll phrase it this way. He can be both the calm and the storm on offense. I'm wondering if they can get him enough looks off ball to kind of test out his set shooting more. I think he'll be disruptive on defense for them in certain lineups that they run at the one, two, three. Like I would really love to see a Suggs, Fultz, RJ Hampton, just one, two, three trio, and maybe round that out with if Isaac is healthy and then whoever you want to put. I might put Isaac at the five in that situation, to be honest with you. You could throw a dart at anyone. I, I was most intrigued by RJ Hampton long-term as a prospect on this team than anyone else. Jalen Suggs is obviously the answer now, but he is still second for me. And I know that maybe Cole Anthony's microwave scoring deserves some mention there. And I know there'll be a lot of people still tantalized by Markel Fultz and, and Jonathan Isaac is there too. But unless you think Jonathan Isaac, once he's healthy, is going to break out on offense, there's nothing else maybe. he can do on defense. He's already like a system unto himself. I think you could make valid cases for Isaac, for Cole Anthony, for uh, Chumo Kiki or Wendell Carter Jr. Even if you're really high on them, because you could be. Oh, Kiki's ball skills last year. Right. They really Um, impressed me. RJ Hampton was tough for me not to pick, but I'm going with Markel Fultz just because maybe it's just because I want to believe still. But before he tore his ACL, which is a complicating factor here (laughs) in that small sample, you know, he already was showing more of a willingness to take deep jumpers. Like he, two three pointers per game was a big step in the right direction. He only just turned 23. Like this is a number one pick whose career hasn't been derailed because he doesn't belong, but because he had the yips, the shoulder injuries, whatever the case may be. If he can get past that, which he increasingly has shown he might be able to, there's no reason he can't develop into a star, albeit in delayed fashion. So I feel like that breakout could happen at any time based on the small strides that we've seen that were interrupted by a a major injury, but also a major injury where a lot of the time we see guys come back as better shooters because that's all they can really work on for a while. So there is a reasonable, realistic outcome where he becomes the best player on this team. Wow. That is Markel Fultz optimism to the up team's degree. It is. It 100% is. I don't know how likely it is. I don't know if he's the likeliest breakout candidate, but I think the magnitude of the potential breakout is the most significant. Wow. Um, I did not see that one coming. I would have been inclined to go more with Wendell Carter Jr. even Mo Bamba before him. Wendell Carter Jr. is probably... Well, not probably. He is a serious option here, too. Uh, I don't know what the addition of Robin Lopez says about how short of a leash that he or Mobamba might have. But there was a report, I think, from I can't remember where I saw it, but that they were thinking about offering Wendell Carter Jr. a four year, $70 million extension, which uh, actually surprised me. I think that actually came from a friend of the pod, Morton Stig Jensen, who co hosts the, mm. the NBA pod with uh, Brian Toporek. I don't have that much faith in Wendell Carter Jr. There is a lot more skill to explore with him, though. And he shot a little bit, a few more threes when he went to Orlando. We'll see if they continue to explore, expand that part of his game. I think he can be a really good passer. And he is mobile. 
on the defensive end too. I would pick him or RJ Hampton as my breakout player. They, we could look back on this Orlando Magic season and they could have like three or four dudes who legitimately broke out. Yep, 100% agreed. Which brings us to the Philadelphia 76ers. And Did you pick Ben Simmons? The caveat has to be that we don't know what's going to happen with Ben Simmons. I mean, this could become outdated really fast because we could be talking about Malik Beasley. Uh, anyone for, who could be sent back from the Timberwolves or any other team that ends up trading for Simmons as the option. But assuming that a trade doesn't happen, I think first I'm legally required to mention Grant Riller here, but the issue is that he's already broken out because he just <laughs> averaged 24 points, four assists, only 1.3 turnovers per 36 minutes, shot 67% from the field, made made half, literally half of his threes, didn't miss a single free throw. Like that's the definition of stardom already. So there's really nothing for him to break out to. My real pick was a little bit unorthodox here because of his age, but I kind of just have this gut feeling that Seth Curry could be the guy who takes the biggest leap here. As we saw in the playoffs. He was their second best player and he's going to break out. Come on. Maybe because who else are you going to pick right now? I have a pick. I'm guessing you're going to go with like Tyrese Maxey, which reasonable, but I do think based on what we saw in the playoffs, there's more to Seth Curry's game than being a catch and shoot option. I think Doc Rivers is realizing that. And I think we're going to see him featured more, especially with Simmons not in the picture because he's either being traded or sitting out the season, presumably. So I I just, I I don't know that Curry's stock is going to change by an order of magnitude, but I do think he's going to be a lot more important to this team. Sure. I, I just don't know the, what I would classify as a breakout for him. Is he entering the all-star conversation at this point? He's about as good as you can be as a role player right now. But I don't know that I would be like, would you be that surprised if he's on the fringes of the all-star conversation? Like the, the utmost periphery, but at least mentioned. I don't know. He wouldn't be the most shocked. Markel Fultz would shock me more there. You said Patrick Williams. Those would be more surprising <laughs> to me. I went with Tyrese Maxey, and this could go one of two ways. Because if you trade Ben Simmons... Now you're down your lead playmaker. You didn't actually have a backup playmaker to begin with. It's between Tyrese Maxey and Shake Milton at this point. If you move Ben Simmons, theoretically that elevates the importance of Tyrese Maxey, but depending on who you bring in. back too, right? Yeah. I was getting there. Come on. Give me a second. But I still I have think, to undercut this because my pick was ridiculous. <laughs> they're not going to have – he's still going to be – one of the two or three most important ball handlers on this team, regardless of what happens with Ben Simmons, because you're not bringing in two guys in the Ben Simmons trade who usurp him in the ball handling pecking order, unless you're trading for, I don't like, are you getting Van Fleet and Siakam from Toronto and like expanding the deal? I to hope include, not. Yeah. And expanding the deal to include Tobias Harris or something. So I like Maxi here, someone who can score at every level. We have to see more from him as someone who's going to table set for his teammates. He can be super pesky on defense. And now that you don't have George Hill, an experiment that just flopped um, from the from the get-go, unless you're going to think about running Jaden Springer out for more immediate minutes, I think there's a real path to him. You know Seth Curry and Ben Simmons or whoever has Ben Simmons' slot is going to play a ton. He's immediately in the mix for like that second or third guard conversation. Depends on what you think about, you know, where's Furkan Korkmaz or Danny Green playing, yada, 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 yada. But I really liked what I saw from him for much of his rookie season. I know like some of the, the flair cooled off as the year wore on. I keep coming back to his every level scoring. And if you had to pick someone from this team, they need that self-creator 
who they can lean on in crunch time to get them buckets at any given level, aside from Joel Embiid. It has to be a smaller player just because that's the, the conventional definition of that crunch time weapon. I think you still gravitate more towards Tobias Harris. Tyrese Maxey fits the every level aspect of that definition there. I'm not saying he's going to usurp Tobias Harris and crunch time importance next season, but just based off where this whole soap opera with Philly is headed, mm-hmm. Tyrese Maxey is, it could end up being mission critical to what they're in. What if they just hold on to Ben Simmons and he does hold out of training camp and he's not there to start the season? Or what if, they, what if they just don't trade Ben Simmons? I think I, I think you probably make the case pretty easily that if they don't trade Ben Simmons. Tyrese Maxey is more important unless they're trading Ben Simmons for a wing. Who Like if they end up accepting like Halliburton, uh, Halliburton, if they end up setting like the Bagley healed and all the pick scenario, like, yeah, there's a, there's a scenario in which Maxey becomes that much more important. They're not going to do that. And so I'm sort of just hedging against the fact that they're going to need him as part of the second unit, no matter what, but there is a chance through a Ben Simmons trade or more likely the lack of one that he ascends their offensive pecking order this year. And I do want to make, I think his defense for a rookie could be really under Like he is someone who will harass you and just wear your skin as decoration. And I like that he showed a willingness to rely less on his floater as the season progressed, just attacking the basket more going for the open pull-up jumpers. Um, I just, I think we're a year away from it being scalable here. Maybe it's just a gut feeling. But that's the only reason I didn't pick him. Like, obviously, strongly considered. I think it's a totally reasonable choice. I think based on what we saw from him and how he was operating in a smaller role, I just I worry that if he does get forced into ascending in terms of importance to the offense that quickly, that it might not be pretty. Fair enough. The Toronto Raptors are up next. They kind of have options galore. So I, many good options. I went with OG Ananobi because of I, think, did. I think, hey, that he's not Chris Boucher. I, just I was, it, out. it was going to be one of those two. It's your own fault for for truly loving two players on the same team. Like I don't if know. you were a little bit less smitten with one of them, this would have been far less painful for you. But I see that you're shedding tears right now for Chris Boucher because you couldn't pick him here. Yeah, exactly. I'm afraid that Kemper streaming down too the many face. of his minutes. Yeah. I don't know how OG gets any better on defense. He was all defense when we went through the exercise for me. He's one of the two or three, if not the absolute best on-ball defender in the NBA. This is someone who can defend every position, essentially. When you had Siakam or Chris Boucher on the floor, they were still stretching with OG Ananobi was guarding the five. I'm looking at his offense. He's kind of proved himself as a three-point shooter. There was more on-ball stuff to his game last year where it wasn't just attacking straight lines yet it wasn't really plumbing the depths of his handle either. It was making quicker decisions, could drop off passes. I think we see more of that. I'm curious to see if we see more ISOs from him. Do they post them up more, just let him go from the point of attack? I think the team is set up to let him go through another year of self-discovery on offense, just because my hot take would be if the Raptors don't make a move, I think they're a top four or five team in the Eastern Conference. I don't think they're a legit title contender because they're right they, with you. They're they're better in the regular season the way their their defense can play. But you have Siakam, you have Fred Van Fleet, and then sort of the on ball opportunity is wide open after that. Goran Dragic is still there. I don't expect him to finish the season in Toronto. Obviously, if you trade for Ben Simmons, that materially changes what OG Ananobi is doing on offense. Um, but like, yeah, you have Malachi Flynn, Gary Trent Jr. can do some stuff off the balance. I don't know what type of license over the offense you give Scotty Barnes as a rookie. 
Um, I would argue it should probably be a, a controllable usage for him. So I think that OG Anunoby is going to have the chance to really just augment uh, um, or rather expand his offensive horizons. And even if he doesn't, let's say they trade for Ben Simmons or they want to give Goran Dragic stays there all year and they want to really work Malachi Flynn and, and Scotty Barnes into the fold. This is someone who can just still do damage as a high volume, higher volume three-point shooter who puts the ball on the floor and just roasts guys in open space or on closeouts. And it would not shock me. Like you had mentioned, I, I think you had said, uh, could you see Fred Van Fleet averaging 25 points per game this season? And maybe we'll be getting into Fred Van Fleet in a second. I don't know. If you told me that OG Ananobi averaged 18, 19, 20 points per game next year, I'd believe it. And I wouldn't blame you. There, there are definitely options galore on this team. I mean, OG Ananobi, as you picked, Chris Boucher, Gary, Gary Trent Jr. could have an argument. You could make a case for Malachi Flynn, maybe even Precious Achiwa. There's so many reasonable cases to be made. But I am ultimately going to go with Van Vliet, and it's because of what you just mentioned at the end there. I think that he is in a prime spot to go from a player who has not yet crested above 20 points per game to a guy who's averaging 25 to 26. And that is a gigantic leap. The reason that I think he can realistically make it is partly because he is so good in on-ball settings and off-ball settings. He's learned so much playing alongside Kyle Lowry, who is no longer there to take away touches. I think he alone can do it. I also think he has the teammates because I too believe that Toronto, as currently constructed, could be a top four or five seed to draw enough attention, uh, enough defensive attention away from him. Spicy it's more season. likely to happen right now. No other moves are made by these teams. Who's better during the regular season next year, the Knicks or the Raptors, the Raptors. I'm with you. Yeah. No, it's not on. even hate. It's not hate to the Knicks at all. I think that's another really well-constructed team, but Toronto has so much upside that could mesh together so well. So yeah, like, if OG Ananobi is averaging 18 points per game, I think that means that Van Vliet is averaging 25-ish because OG has sucked away enough defensive attention that they're the two scorers alongside Pascal Siakam who gets to settle into a little bit less of a featured role, thrive even more on defense. That's how, it, that's how this happens if it is as good as we expect. Are you ready to go to the final team? I am. I'm going to go with another all hardwood Knox pick for me, Daniel Gafford. The energy is infectious. The defensive ability is incredible. The way he's able to harness that energy and that athleticism and somewhat of a controlled fashion makes it feel more scalable. This team was 10.1 points per hundred possessions better with him on the floor after he came over from the bulls, which is just a monumental improvement. And I also just want to highlight his history in NBA math crystal basketball project, because when he was set to debut as a rookie, the 2019-20 preseason edition, he was tied for 414th in the league. He rose to 310 in the postseason edition, fell back down to a tie for 315 in the preseason edition this past season and made it all the way up to 184. Wow. And I'm betting that we're talking about him. This might be my hottest take yet. I'm betting that we're talking about him as a top 100 guy after this coming season. Wow. That is, he's a, a totally operable pick here. No qualms about that. I'm just, when you sort of look at their setup with 
Montrez Harold, a healthy Thomas Bryant. Is his role impacted at all by there? I agree with you, and I kind of knew you were going to pick him. So for the sake of variety, I wasn't. I didn't know we were going to be so in lockstep at the beginning of this pod. I went with Denny Avia, and I know he's only a sophomore, but something that's not being talked about, and maybe it's because we don't know how he's going to look after fracturing his his right ankle. But like there was, he just looked like he had such a great understanding of the game last year. And now that you take Russell Westbrook out of the equation. You're bringing in Spencer Dinwiddie, but there's not as much of an offensive monopoly over touches anymore. We might be able to see more on ball stuff from him. And it looks like he has that, that feel to be, and even like some changes of pace a little bit, even though he's not like super explosive to set up things in the half court. And I think he can be fine to work off Spencer Dinwiddie and Bradley be on the same lineups. He was positionally when by the eye test anyway, I think he's going to end up being a better defender than I ever would have expected, but I like the opportunity for him to have more offensive agency on the ball and what that could mean as a playmaker sort of seeing more of what he can do at, at multiple levels of, of scoring. He has to be healthy. The wizards have to lean on him, which is that might be up in the air because this is a deeper team. And I think they still want to make the playoffs. Like that's the vibe you get based off what's going to happen. When you look though, now at the top of this roster, Spencer Dimity's coming off a partially torn right ACL. There just might be, moments where they actually need him to take on a bigger role if Spencer Dimity's not able to play or if he's dealt with injuries in the past too. So I think he elevates significantly in offensive importance for this team following the departure of Russell Westbrook. I guess unless you believe that like the Wizards are really married to Aaron Holiday. They might be because I thought they overpaid for him in that trade with the Pacers. But I loved Denny Avdia. Maybe I didn't see enough of him coming in the NBA, but I was disarmed with just some of the moments, the long stretches, the the expansity of his skill set overall. And I think he'll get a chance, if healthy this year, to really sort of show it. And so he, he would be my pick. But this team probably has a few options where you mentioned Daniel Gafford. Maybe this is the right fit for Aaron Holiday finally. I think Rui Hachimura, I'm still not comfortable with his shot selection, but based on how well he shot mid-range looks towards the end of last year, it could be him. It could also be Kyle Kuzma who was a legitimately good offensive player during his rookie season. And then his shot went away as a sophomore. He never got another chance as a featured offensive option and developed into a legitimately good defensive player who embraced that role. What if he's given the confidence and opportunity to be a featured offensive player and can connect those two skills together? I don't think that can be ruled out where all of a sudden, like he might become that star that, people were expecting based on his rookie season. I don't think it's likely. I think it's possible. I'm going to stick with Gafford as a pick, but like Advia was my second choice. Kuzma was my third. Hachimura was my fourth. And they're all good options. Hachimura would have been my third behind Gafford and then my pick, uh, Advia. But it'd be interesting to see if there's more of an appreciation for Kyle Kuzma once he removes the Lakers jersey because prospects get too hyped up in those sort of red carpet markets. And then like there's that, really sudden crash for them because people get so sick of seeing them. It happened with Alex Caruso too. Yeah. So yeah, that, that, that could happen. This was a great exercise. We will do the Western conference one probably be released on Tuesday of next week, the day after labor day. Um, Thank you all so much for listening as always, please, please, pretty, please remember to rate review and subscribe to hardwood knocks on iTunes. Even if you don't use it, the numbers and ratings are stagnant there. Help us out but also download and subscribe to our podcast wherever you actually get your podcast. We are everywhere they can be found. Follow us on YouTube, search Hardwood Knox, go hit, hit subscribe, 
Help us get to 1,000 subscribers on YouTube. Help us get there. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Hardwood Knox, Instagram at underscore hard, Hardwood underscore Knox, TikTok at Hardwood Knox. Until next time, we'll leave you with a shout out to the one, the only, the would have been my pick for the most likely breakout player on the New York Knicks had they been smart and kept him, Frankie Lakina. <laughs>